I'll just start with, you know, hi, my name's Nicole. I'm a, I'm many things. I'm a, a adult child of two alcoholics. Um, I'm a survivor of trauma and capital T. I um, am recovered from an eating disorder. So I just want to qualify my relationship to milestones is that uh, my trudge buddy back in, I want to say, 98, 99, maybe 2000, something like there. Um, she came, we were living in San Francisco and she came to milestones and we fell in love with milestones because of its connection to 12 step that, um, it didn't just leave you, uh, it sort of guided you to, uh, support outside of treatment. And, uh, and I worked with Nikki for myself, um, for, she's the one who came up with my food plan. Uh, and then when Bonnie needed to go into treatment, I was like, do milestones. So um, I have a strong place in my heart for this uh, recovery center. Um, so uh, Bonnie kind of asked me to talk about uh, codependence and relapse, and and I'll probably get there, but um, but I wanted to uh, also touch on the weight and the food uh, and how and kind of lead to uh, codependence and relapse. So um, to do kind of a brief sketch, what I have learned is that I use weight and I use food because I want to control. That's why those things work for me. Um, I think for me, uh, as a having parents that were alcoholics, having a younger brother who was a drug addict alcoholic, um, you know, and being around so much uncertainty, especially because uh, my childhood was middle class. And so it had this sort of like, false veneer of everything looking good and it wasn't so that so there was no honesty about what was happening and so it's like I just needed to maintain control and I'm bringing that up because there are many ways to disassociate from feelings you know, drugs, alcohol, you know, so I became kind of curious as to why for me it was food. And it's because for me, food could numb me from the neck down and yet make it so that I had all my, what I thought were at least my faculties that I could uh, continue to scan and track like my environment, like, and, and be just very hypervigilant all the time. Um, so, and then the other th reason for the food is because, because I was surrounded by very loving, uh, but very crazy, um, wounded people. I had learned that sharing my feelings was not safe. 
um, they would either be minimized or discounted or denied or used against me in the future. And what food did for me was when I had a feeling and I needed to process my feelings, I had nowhere to go with those feelings. So I could soothe myself through food. So I have, so basically, I've now grown up in an environment where I'm having experiences that are upsetting or whatever. I'm, I'm, there are things happening that I can't control, that I want to control, and I'm having feelings that I don't want to be having because I don't want anyone to know I'm having these feelings. And also because I might, they might be used against me or my feelings might make other people think I'm crazy or whatever. So again, like I'm afraid to reveal myself. And so like, but I'm having these feelings and I need to do something with them. And so with an eating disorder, I get to manage those feelings without involving anyone else. Like I get to like either eat over them or I get to restrict them or I get to purge them, you know? So the thing that food gave me was that I became an army of one and no one else got, was involved. And the thing with that and what I think is, you know, it's not unique to food addiction. But what it can kind of sell you the most with food is how much control it can make you think you have. Because you don't need anyone else, you know, whereas like, you know, sex addiction or, you know, it's like you can do food by yourself um, and not not appear inebriated because people aren't tuned into like what a food coma looks like right so you could binge and then go out and drive and pass a drug test i mean you know it you can really hide your eating disorder if you want i gained a lot of weight when i was younger for protection uh, so i had that side of the disease and then i lost it and um had some trauma come up and then developed uh, purging bulimia. I didn't know that I had the other types of bulimia because no one talks about that. The binging, over-exercising, binging, starving. I didn't purge, I mean, I didn't do laxatives or anything. Um, but then when the trauma happened, the memories happened after I lost the weight, I, I started purging. Fortunately, like, and that was like my big break in abstinence and, but I was in the rooms and so that relapse was less than a month total, um, but it was a horrible bottom for me. So the reason why I'm saying all this is that because I want to paint that picture of the weight and the food and really focus on how much control is the, um, what do we want to call it? Like the, 
the uh, promise of this particular is like, I'm going to be in control of my feelings. I'm going to be in control of my emotions. I'm going to be in control of my impression management, how you see me. I'm not going to be able, you know, all of this stuff, even in terms of like gaining weight, I'm going to be in control of taking up more space. I'm going to be in control of like, I don't feel safe in this world. I'm going to make myself feel safe in this world. Control in terms of like, I don't like being sexualized. I'm going to desexualize my body because people told me that if I weigh a lot, you know, I become invisible, you know? And so again, like just this formula for me, not trusting anything and taking the reins and just being in control. So the reason why I want to point that out is that, well, I, I'm not a sociopath, so I do want to have relationships. And so, but I'm walking into all of these relationships with this, like, hey, this is who I am and this is what I do. And you're not allowed to say anything about it because if you do, we're done. Um, and so I, and then also because I come from the land of crazy, I am constantly feeling like someone's going to find that out. It's kind of like if you really knew me, then you should be afraid of me for your own safety. So my relationships are all going to be based on some sort of unspoken agreement. Like, you know, could be binge buddies. Like, okay, you know, we're going to go, I'm not going to bring up your weight. You're not going to bring up mine or, you know, your bad choices with your partners. Like there's some sort of an agreement and that right there is the beginning of the codependency. It's like, you're not allowed to say certain things that you see in me. And my agreement is that I won't say anything I see in you. So let's just have this little agreement. So that's one type. It's very, you know, that's how you end up with drinking buddies or drug buddies. You know what I mean? It's like we agree that we're in this together and we're not going to bring these things up and we'll just, you know, be friends or lovers or whatever. Now... My experience is, is that when I'm in a toxic, uh, dysfunctional relationship, which I haven't been in for a long time because I've been in recovery enough that those people aren't attracted and I'm not attracted to them. But, you know, in early recovery, all of these relationships, there was a lot of um, negotiating. Like, I will take I will be the person you bring all your problems to and I will tell you how to fix your life and so I will let you bring all your stuff to me and I will be your free therapist and me being your free therapist is how I know that you will be my friend and you won't abandon me like that's a sort of transaction that we have However, I also get to be that critical parent voice that is, you know, a sick need you have, even though like over and over, you're not going to take any of my advice, but I am not going to get frustrated with you because I need to feel like I have friends. So you see, there's just a lot of unspoken transactions 
Now, what can happen and what should happen is that I go into recovery, which means I've hit some sort of internal bottom where it's like I can't play this character anymore. Like somehow I get that this I'm going to this reality TV show series is going downhill. Like and I I have no like I can't quit this role. Like I can't I keep waking up and it's the same character. Like there's nothing really authentic happening here. And that lack of honesty and authenticity and this total fear of being found out, it's just like, I'm, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. So however you end up hitting a bottom, I mean, as painful as it is, and I know having hit a few, it is, I fucking hate it. It's horrible. I wish, I wish I could voluntarily like stop before hitting a bottom, but that's not, I mean, the one thing that's great is the more time you get in the rooms, the higher the bottom, because my, I have zero tolerance for discomfort now. I'm much more willing to change, but for my personality, that took a couple of decades. So that's my little baby boy down there letting me know someone's outside. Um, so when I start to do that change, when I start to go into recovery, if I change, all my relationships have to change. Because, and I, I'm, I've never had to kind of articulate it, so I'm gonna give this a real try, right? When I think of the relationships that I have today, um, all of my relationships that I have today, we are interdependent. We know that we're social beings and that in order to feel safe and connected, I need people in my life who actually give a flying fuck what happens to me. Like they care. Now, the reason why my friendships are interdependent is because I need their support. I need their perspective. Sometimes I need their humor. I just, I need to go and just have fun or I need them to understand what it can be like to be in this world and have certain aspects of my personality that can be challenging for, like I just, need to feel a deep sense of belonging, which I do. Now, the reason why they're interdependent and not codependent is not one of the people in my life who are part of my God squad ever, ever asks me to put their needs above my needs. They'd never do that. The other thing is, is that when I say the other thing that makes it interdependent is that I, when I can say yes to them and I can say no to them. And when I say no, they are grateful that I have the ability to say no. Because when someone says no to me, it gives me a sense of trust that when this person says yes, they mean it. Now, in a codependent relationship, that shit doesn't happen. 
In a codependent relationship, the agreement is, depending on what it is, is that when it comes to this, so for example, let's go back to the friendship where it's like I'm the free therapist. It's like the agreement is with the other friend is that when she needs to dump her shit, I'm going to be available. Now, it doesn't matter if I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I don't have time, none of it. That's the agreement. Now, that's just one example. The Another example could just be like, if I, anytime I want to do something, if the other person is like, I don't want you to do that, they're going to say something so that I don't do it. That's codependent. Like, if I need to do something like go to sleep, eat, you know, like whatever it is, meaning, let me say not just do something. When I need to do my self-care, like my basic like needs, which include play, spirituality, friend time, when I need to do that, someone who is healthy will support that. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to like it, okay? But they will not try to stop me from taking care of myself in any way. The other thing is, is that it's like also with my interdependent friends, at some point they realize that my decisions are between me and whatever whatever spiritual or not spiritual practice I have and that I ultimately may know best what's for me. And so they don't speak to me as if they know what's best for me. So no matter who they are, whether it's, you know, a friend or a parent or an older sister or whatever, it's like, no, there's a respect that this is my life. I know how to play this character better than fucking anyone. And I have a a way of knowing things that you may not understand, you know, but you know what? It's not your place to understand it. You don't have to understand it. You either have faith in me and my choices, or you don't. And if you don't, I think we need to have a conversation about that. So that's why I'm saying like today, you know, I have interdependent relationships of all different kinds. Uh, We have zero tolerance for, you know, any sort of, I mean, I don't even have, but again, I I don't have it, but we're talking 30 years. So it's like 30 years of real rigorous recovery. So I, I have learned, like, I have zero tolerance for anyone who treats me like that. So we're not going to be friends. I'm not going to call you. I'm not, the only people I allow into my personal space are people that are kind and loving and safe. Otherwise, you're not invited. So I want to wrap up here really quickly because I am seeing the time. So I don't know if I'll be able to sum this up very quickly. What I have seen as a sponsor and mentor in the rooms is that There are a couple of reasons why I have witnessed people relapse. It is either 
one of them is codependency, but one of them isn't. One of them is I am changing. And the people in my life do not like that I'm changing. Now, here's the key part. There is a part of me, and this ties to the other reason people leave. It's actually like almost like part 1A and part 1B. If you if this other person leaves me or doesn't support me, I can't handle what that will feel like. Basically, what it is is that my whole sense of self and self-acceptance is so tied into this relationship that without them, I can't, I, I feel like I have no ground to step on. And the second reason people leave is basically the same thing. It's just it doesn't necessarily require a third or a second party. It's this recovery is bringing up a lot of shame and self-loathing and I can't I can't take it and it's like that is why in 12-step I don't know what they do there it's like you cannot do this alone because there in my experience there's no way to do recovery real deep recovery without uncovering feelings of abandonment, self-loathing, shame, like that's what feeds the need for a disorder in the first place. If we didn't have those feelings, we wouldn't need an addiction. We could just be in the world. But because we have these feelings that we don't want to feel about ourselves that propels us to want to anesthetize those feelings. And then once it successfully happens, now we've got our brain that tells us, oh, how to stop feeling this way is to do this behavior. So now we have the compulsive disorder, which is you know, the definition of one of the definitions of addiction. So I, I'm, I'm too aware of the time to keep going, but that for me is how codependence can lead to relapse is that without that relationship, whatever it is, work, whatever the feelings that you have about yourself come up and you feel like it's too much for you. It's not, but you believe it is. So thanks for letting me share.